this league. We have a jam-packed show. It's been a lot of things that's been happening uh, that was more important than the podcast, that was more important than sports. So we took the time to reevaluate, to look in the mirror, to see what we could do individually as a podcast, what we can do better to help with everything that's continually to go on with Black Lives Matter, police um, brutality, dealing with everything, even COVID, just how do we even do our part in that regard? But um, we are back. How are you feeling, my boy? Feel good. Just trying to get ready for the fall. You know, everything's getting ramped up at this point. Sports-wise, everything could be a little little different. I, I don't know about the past week, how things have gone, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to start off the show with um, sending our condolences to the legendary Georgetown coach, John Thompson Jr., dies at age 78. Um, very well known in the sports world. Um, very well known for more of his impact on the players as men. What did you take away? What are your biggest memories of John Thompson Jr.? I mean, he's, he's a legend. He's, he really put Georgetown on the map. One of the, like, biggest name, like, black coaches in college basketball history, honestly. He, he could have a, a couple more championships if not for some team shooting lights out in the championship like Villanova did. But, yeah, like you said, he, he was a teacher of how to be a man. Like, every, every player that he really brought to the team left a better person than they were before that. Like, he, like AI even said it today. He's like, you saved my life. Like, honestly, if you look back at it, that's real. Because AI was, <laughs> he was in a dark place facing prison time. He's supposed to be this top prospect. He got pardoned and no colleges were looking at him still. But John Thompson was, he knew already that, hey, let me take this guy in. He's not a bad kid. He's misunderstood. He's always been misunderstood. But John Thompson was the first one to really take him in and, and really treat him the way he should and be patient with him. Because kids that young, they don't really know what direction to head in. You're still learning, man. You're still learning. So you get a coach like John Thompson who he's been around the block. He knows what it's like. He played on those Celtics team. He was the he was the backup for Bill Russell on all those championship teams. Like people don't know that, but yeah, he was he was a good basketball player too. But John Thompson the man, he he's definitely going to be missed. Uh the Georgetown family is hurting a little bit today, but they're going to get through it. And, hey, he's he's one of the greatest coaches in college basketball history. I'm, I'm going to say that because everything that he did for the game, he basically coached in the toughest conference probably in NCAA history back then. Yeah. In the East, that was like primetime basketball right there. So many – great players came out of the Big East and so many great players came out of Georgetown. And I'm sure that many of them would say the same thing that John Thompson changed their lives for the better. And yeah, he's going to definitely be missed. Yeah. The only thing that really comes to my mind regarding him, I'm going to say this quote, 
that I found. Success is not measuring the amount of dollars you make, but the amount of lives you impact. And when it comes to John Thompson Jr., that that solidifies, that says his life, his career right there. And which is so more important, again, talking about bigger than basketball, because after that, you retire, you get injured. What type of person are you? What type of man are you? And you, you can see it now with AI, the love that he shows to other players and the being emotional and vulnerable and open. That's John Thompson's impact right there all over AI's life with, like you said, that could have been a talent in jail if it wasn't for John Thompson and him taking a chance, taking that risk to, hey, I'm going to give this kid a chance. I know he still needs to learn. He needs just a good person in his uh, in his circle. So shout out to John Thompson Jr. Shout out to the family. Uh, condolences to them. Condolences to the Georgetown family. This is uh, why we are rocking the towels for this episode for John Thompson. Like you said, my fault to cut you off. But like you said, there's so many like AIs out there that didn't, have a John Thompson to really bet on them, take a chance on them, try to nurture them and turn them into men from boys. And a lot of talented players out there just wasted because dumb opportunities were blown on, on dumb things. And a coach wasn't really going to take a chance on them. They thought it was a character risk. And, and every other coach saw the same thing in AI, but I mean, we need more coaches like John Thompson, who they see that these, these are kids still. They're not like grown adults, even though they might try to do grown things and try to act grown, but that doesn't make them adults yet. Like there's so many different things that lead into adulthood and you can't really judge somebody off of the mistakes they made as like a 17 year old. And that whole situation with AI, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's his fault. But <laughs> I don't think he did anything wrong. So for him to be thrown in jail, that would have been terrible. And <laughs> we wouldn't have been able to see Bubba Chuck kill the league the way he did if not for the governor of Virginia pardoning him. And mainly for John Thompson taking a chance on him because if he didn't, I don't know what would have happened to AI. He'd probably still be in Virginia or who knows, worse. Transition into the NBA recently. They did a uh, strike after the shooting of Jacob Blake. Players basically said enough was enough and they decided to go on strike and we had some uh, resolutions that came from it. I'll just read off what the NBA owners have promised to do. Teams who own their own arenas will be having their uh, arenas for facilities for voting for that uh, 2020 election coming up. The network partners, along with the NBA and the players, will create advertisements to promote greater civic engagement in national and local elections to raise awareness around voter access and opportunity and the last big thing was a new social justice coalition will be formed made up of players, coaches, and team owners that will focus on meaningful police and criminal justice reform. Do you feel 
that this was a successful strike? Should it have been longer? Um, what are your thoughts on how this strike went about? I mean, is it even a strike if it's for the day? I feel like a strike got to be longer than 24 hours. But, I mean, with the, the whole strike and what I thought had potential, if they all as a collective decided, you know what, let's put this season on pause. You know, they either put it on pause or just stop playing altogether and let's really get out there and fight the good fight. Because back in the 60s, there were players like that who were willing to step away and really fight the good fight for what was right, which is fighting for civil rights, which we've been fighting, like Jamal said, for 400 years. We've been fighting for this this one thing in this country that has somehow eluded Black people for so so long. But... With the NBA players, I think that – I don't want to say they dropped the ball, but I would have liked them to stop playing. Kind of – now looking back on it, I, I see where Kyrie was coming from. Why not stop the season so we can actually get in the trenches and really get stuff done? But I also see it from the other perspective, where if we're not playing basketball, we're not in this bubble where – the attention really is kind of focused on us over here, then what are we going to do outside of basketball? Because I know not all those players are going to go out there and really protest or fight the good fight. They might just go home, do what they can, be with their family, and nothing gets solved by then. But I think – I don't know, man. It's tough because – I was once they did that, once they, they said no games are gonna be played, I'm really thinking like, all right, now we're about to really get into something. And like I'm seeing all these other sports doing kind of the same thing. I was like, all right, maybe we're gonna have a, as a collective, as sports in general, come out and show support for I mean, what is right. And that's we don't wanna see people that look like us continue to get gunned down in the street for no good reason because that's really what's happened for years now and one day maybe we'll see some change but until people are willing to i guess risk risk it all and take a a step away from the game and see what's really important in this world because if not for those jerseys and not for those millions of dollars they're just like me and you, they're humans, black people. And they, <laughs> they'd they have the same fears that we do on a daily basis. Because I, I know that I'm, I fear sometimes when a cop is behind me driving. It's just, it's unfortunately natural for people that look like us to feel this way. Because for so many years, even going back to the Rodney King videotape where you would think it's a slam dunk you got like eight cops on film beating up this one black black guy and you still can't get him that just shows that there's a long way to go and that was almost like 30 years ago and we still have 
stuff like that going on to this day where people are getting gunned down by cops and you have to basically burn buildings down for them to even acknowledge that something did happen. I think it's tough. Um, when it first came out, I texted you like, yo, this might be something huge. Like mm-hmm. you saw a lot of the sports outside of, um, I was reading one of the few black players in the NHL said that they was probably one of the only few sports that didn't do anything. But for the most part, you saw sports lining up back to back, canceling practices, canceling games. You had, um, I can't remember his name, but the player from the Mets who had that real emotional after the game interview explaining, you know, his view on everything that's going on and how he fears and how he has to deal with those struggles. You have players coming out, how we have to have these conversations with our kids. I thought, hey, when it first came out, the NBA is, again, the greatest league. They take the first step to start the initiative to have the other sports do things. Um, Looking in history, the strikes and the protests that have the most impact were typically the ones that lasted longer than a day. I was shocked that it was done after a day. Um, I think it's some good things that came about from the strike that they have the owners promising. Um, I'm kind of though on the same page with Jalen Brown. He said that he's not as confident as he would like to be. He'll say that I think promises are made year after year after year. We've heard a lot of these terms and words before. We're still hearing them now. We heard them in 2014. A lot of them are just reshaping the same ideas and nothing is actually taking place. Long-term goals are one thing, but I think there's stuff in our wheelhouse as athletes with our resources and the people that we're connected to that short-term effect is possible as well. We need things to happen now. I think, like I said, it's some good things for the future and for some things to be done, but with the connections that these owners have, these NBA players have, LeBron and CP3 coming out said that they talked to Obama to get advice from Obama, they're connected. I think something could have been done. You feel me? Like that would have had an effect now. Um, I think some of the owners, the NBA should have took a page out of the Ravens playbook. Ravens put up on Twitter amongst multiple statements, but one that stuck out to me was, though we cannot write all the wrongs of our country's history, this is the Baltimore Ravens, this was on their Twitter account, arrest and charge the police officers responsible for Breonna Taylor's killing and the shooting of Jacob Blake. Demand that Senator Mitch McConnell bring the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act of 2020 to the Senate floor for a vote, amongst other things that they said with their statement but that stuck out to me the most. Um, I think that was more impactful than even the owners pledging that they were gonna send $300 million over the next 10 years, which really isn't, that's pocket change soon. That's a tax write-off in a lot of cases. Um, doing the math on that $10 million a year, really, that's for each team, you feel me? It's not that, it's not that much when you do the math on it, really. Um, 
and that's over 10 years. What about right now? Because the oh, that the money going towards 2021, 2022 doesn't have to do with anything with right now. Like we we're in the same situation again. Jacob Blake shot seven times in his back. That 2021, 2022, 20 that that's not doing nothing about what's still going on right now. So I think the NBA could have did more in this case. They're not, they're typically they on point, but in this situation, I feel that the players and the NBA could have done more. I still think it's sad that we have to have this discussion of the NBA and sports teams doing more and not our politicians, not the people that should be revered and should be having the pressure of making change. But being that, that they have this impact, this platform, they have these connections. I said this to somebody the other day, if you stepped up to the plate, then we need you to hit the ball right there, get that, hit the home run, put it, hit them where it hurts and make these changes come about. So I, this thing is going to be hard because everybody's not going to be a united front. Like you said, some players going to go back home to their families, go back to some players don't care. Some players is not that much of, you know, uh, impact. So if we're all not going to do it, then like, why stop playing? If we're all not going to be on that same page. So it's not that impactful. We're not Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon. And you don't hear nobody else. You feel me? So. Well, what, uh, was there a statement by the Cowboys on this whole thing or is Jerry Jones still just a neutral front? Only thing I've heard from Jerry Jones recently, he, he made sure to let it be known that the Cowboys are interested in Earl Thomas. He has not really said anything, but I think that goes back to the players though. If the Cowboys players put pressure on Jerry Jones, I think he would say something. I think he would have a he would have to choose a side something. If Dak Prescott stepped up, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, instead of talking about we're going to have three 1,000-yard wide receivers and we're – your leaders of that team are – they're quiet. So what pressure does Jerry Jones feel like he has to say anything or do anything? My player's not saying nothing, so um, – <laughs> Feel me like – that's my thing when it comes, like, to the, to the Cowboys specifically. Of course, the NFL in general – not many owners are saying not many teams are doing what the Ravens are doing. So it's a list of teams that like they're quiet, but specifically Cowboys of a history of typically Jerry Jones being quiet, Jerry Jones being openly in support of Trump. But when it came, when it comes to these issues, even with the cabinet is you feel me, he's quiet. Um, He's loud when he's, you know, in support of Trump and, Yes, respect the national anthem, but when you have when that first happened, like Dak Prescott, he came out and Connor was in agreement, like we should respect the national anthem. So when you get in that statement from your your leader, your two hundred million dollar man, as an owner, what? Why should I say something? Why should I show support? Y'all don't care. Y'all not saying nothing. That's why, like. It's just, just a different experience being black in America. Because 
I don't think there's any other race that really has to they they won't know what the talk the talk means when somebody brings that up. Like if you bring that up to a white person, they're just gonna think that all right, yeah, I got time to talk. But no, that's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about the talk. How you if you're faced with a cop and dealing with a cop, you just have to don't do anything stupid. That's like back in the day, yeah. Like my I was talking to my dad. And he was saying like, I mean, you know, you knew what the talk was, but people honestly learned about it because of like Richard Pryor, like even just joking about it. Like I'm put, I'm reaching into my pocket to get my wallet. The fact that people have to do that because I don't know, people that look like us, I guess seem more threatening than somebody else. It's crazy. Because it shouldn't be that way. Like these are cops that are supposed to serve and protect. That's what their motto is, and that's they're not. They're not living by it. Yeah, they. I mean, have they ever really lived by that? Because I mean, serve and protect does it doesn't mean serve and protect some. It just means <laughs> serve and protect all. And until we get that, there's gonna be unrest. There's gonna be people up in arms about. Jacob Blake. There's going to be people up in arms about George Floyd, Sandra Bland, <laughs> Trayvon Martin. There's so many different ways and so many other people. Like, it would, it would take too long for us to name every single person. It's too, that's the sad part. It's too many names. And when we go down the list of those names, it's situations where people comply and they still die. So even the talk of just, hey, do whatever they tell you to do it still can turn out bad for you, which is weird for me, for you. I know for others where the fear comes in. If you be, if a cop is behind you, like I've said, I will literally, I'll pull over. I'll pull over. Let me check my tires. I think my tire flat just to have the police officer drive by because it's not even the case anymore of comply. You comply and you can, it's still a risk that you, actually might die still which what what good is it if like i'm driving home at night which has happened a few times and i'm almost home and i'm at a light and a cop's like behind me and then i'm driving still and they're still behind me and like the fact that like my heart rates my heart rate is is going up slowly but i'm just like in the back of my head i keep i'm looking in the mirror i keep checking i'm like all right He's still following me. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm going the speed limit. Like, what what could be going on? And honestly, I'm pretty sure he's not even thinking about me. <laughs> but the fact that I see a cop behind me and automatically I just start to fear. Fear just creeps in. It's just, that's not right. Because I don't know if there's any other race that <laughs> is feeling that way in America. Nah, it isn't. They don't, and a lot of times people don't understand until they see it, until they have to deal with it, until it hits their front door. So it's a sad situation. This is the the country we live in. All we can do is pray and hope, you know, for things to change and do whatever we can. Like like things like this, having this conversation, having this 
platform and we're a sports podcast, sports pop culture podcast. This is taboo to talk about. Nah, this is something that needs to be talked about. So for all we know, somebody could hear this and be like, wow, I never knew that. Wow, I never understood that. Wow, what? Two young black men have to have that concern even when a police officer comes behind their car. Who's to say, you feel me? Like, so this is this this is the things we have to do that we have to continue to do, educating ourselves, making sure we go vote, um, things of that nature, doing your part to try to bring change in this country and this lifetime for us and future generations. Um, One more thing. I have friends who are cops and I know not all cops are bad. That's a, That's just a fact. And you know that. But some of their stances just don't, you know, sit right with me. They just feel like, I mean, we, we have a job to do. We fear for our lives too. But I'm like, why do you fear for your life when you're pulling a, a black person over? Because they could really, you don't know that person's background. You might see the car, car that they drive, but that could be <laughs> a Harvard graduate trying to get home at night who just came from the bar, but all of a sudden you feel threatened. It's just, it's not right. It's not, it's not natural. It's not a natural thing to feel threatened when you're just out here living your life. Like, I don't, I don't know. Hopefully we see change eventually. And hopefully that time is soon. Cause I mean, my son, he's still young and <laughs> I don't want to say naive, but he hasn't gone through some of the things that we've gone through and seen in this life yet. And I know eventually I'm going to have to have the talk with him, unfortunately, because I would hate to not have the talk and find out that, oh, he, I felt threatened. He got aggressive with me when I just pulled him over for going to five miles over the speed limit. And he reached for his wallet and <laughs> you never know. And that's one of like biggest fears in my life is something like that happening. And hopefully I pray that it never happens. Yeah, that I pray that it doesn't happen. Me and my wife have had discussions countlessly about when we have children, hopefully it won't be like this. It won't be this bad. It'll be some type of improvement um, that we'll see in our time because that's you have a child already that's the the biggest factor honestly in us having a child is like yo we're going to be raising a black child in America that's one of the scariest most difficult jobs in the world it's already tough enough you have a child I don't but I already know I gave my parents hella problems it's tough in itself of being a parent being a parent of a black child is a whole nother level of difficulty that goes from all-star to hall of fame like into like it's a whole nother level of difficulty and things that you have to be concerned with um as a parent so prayers out for sure for you and all the parents in america that have to raise black children kudos to you kudos to y'all for that fight man it's i like i said i can't imagine I can't imagine how it is. Um, transitioning to 
some basketball. Um, Brett Brown, you called it. You predicted it. Brett Brown has been fired. Nate McMillan has been fired. Um, based off of those, those two, do you feel they'll be getting another job? I can't even ask you if you feel if it was who deserves it more because you know Brett Brown. You predicted he would be fired. So, what's your takeaways from uh, <laughs> these two firings? By the way, I don't think Nate McMillan should have been fired. But what's your takeaways? Well, that was a shock to me because uh, he's had guys who have been injured and like Paul George injured, Vic injured, and they still make the playoffs every year pretty much. I don't, I don't understand the firing of Nate McMillan because, I mean, what can you do? You got a guy coming back from surgery to play in the, the playoffs really and you're missing probably your best player in Sabonis. What'd you expect was going to happen? I didn't really see them threatening Miami without some of those pieces. Like Miles Turner is just, I don't know. He's just three point shooter at this point and he's not a good one. So you got him out there just chucking threes and not really doing much else. And I mean, you got TJ Warren to play well, got Brogdon. They got Vic. I just think that they didn't really give him a chance. And what coaches are going to really come to Indiana that are better than Nate McMillan? I don't think Ty Lue's coming to Indiana. I don't see – I mean, maybe Brett Brown because he might be going to Europe if he doesn't find a job in the NBA. But It's the same thing when it comes to their free agency. Who is really trying to go to Indiana? No, nobody. And that was the issue with – like Paul George, that's why he left, because nobody else was going to come help him out in Indiana, because I wouldn't want to live in Indiana either for a year or five years, however long that contract would be. So, I mean, Nate McMillan losing his job is unfortunate. I mean, it's another black coach without a job. Um, but he's a good coach. Wherever he's gone, he's done – a great job coaching and I think he'll be back with a team whether he has to sit out and be an assistant for a year or two I think I think that's what's gonna happen with him he's gonna end up being an assistant probably mm-hmm. um, more so than like you said Brett Brown I don't see any of these openings I don't even want to talk about Brett Brown he's he was already the fact that he was a coach for seven seasons in Philly and he's a hundred games under 500. This means that what did he actually accomplish? Cause I mean, those early years, yeah, it wasn't his fault. They were clearly playing for nothing and tanking to get better players. But now that they got the better players, what did they actually accomplish with these players? Like, this is a team that should be fighting for championships, should fight for, like, a, a top seed in the Eastern Conference, which which is clearly the weaker conference. It's especially weaker now that Braun is on the West Western Conference now. But the fact that he was a coach, the crazier thing is that he was a coach for seven years and Mark Jackson been fighting for whatever reason 
just throws me for a loop. I don't know. That, that would be a guy I would look at for Philly, honestly. Him, Ty Lue, all those coaches that they've been around the stars. They know what to do. Like Brett Brown, I don't even know what he was doing before this. And we'll see. We'll see what happens with Brett Brown. I don't have confidence in him, though. I think he's under the, the Popovich tree, if, if I remember correctly, which, you know, helped in him getting a job. I think Mark Jackson will be a nice fit in Indiana going back to that organization, being that he played with them for some years. Um, unfortunate for Nate McMillan. I think you look at a Brett Brown, you see a Nate McMillan, for example, who with less talent, with things that have happened, injuries, and he still gets the job done. Mm -hmm. So Brett Brown, yeah, they was trying to tank, but – a lot of those games, they weren't even competitive. So it's like, could, you see the greater coaches get more out of less or get the best out of non-stars. Greg Popovich, there's no Timmy there anymore. There's no Manu there anymore. They got a DeMar DeRozan. They got a LaMarcus Aldridge. They got some nice young pieces. But he, he had them came down to the bubble ready. So... I mean, we're not going to say that Brett Brown is Greg Popovich, but I'm just saying maybe you got to, you know, look in the mirror. What are you doing as a coach to get the best out of your players? But um, in that same sense, like a coach really does make a huge difference in whether you're a good team or not. It's not just, you know, the players. They, they like to say, all right, I mean, you could throw like Bron, Wade, and Bosh on a team, but you need a good coach to be able to keep things together. So I know people might have been critical of Spolstra and felt that, oh, he, he got those chips because of, you know, Braun and Wade and all that. But even if that might have been true, he's kept Miami relevant and they've been really good for a, a long time. And that's not just the players because they've lost those players and they've had to rebuild and come back and find a way to, to be successful. So, like, if you had a Greg Popovich go to the Philly Philadelphia Sixers, then they might be a top top seed in the East. It's that easy. Well, it's not that easy, but I'm, what I'm saying is a coach, a coach will make wonders or do wonders for a team because they can really get players to understand, like, this is what you got to do to win. I don't know if Brett Brown really understood what it took to win because – you're trying to listen to a guy who's a hundred games under 500. I don't know. That's like a, <laughs> that's, that wouldn't give me confidence in listening to what he's got to say. Yeah. I wonder how much respect he had in that locker room. Like you said, Greg Popovich, the thing with new coaches and everything, you got to have the players to buy into the system. It's hard not to buy into a system of a proven coach, like a Greg Popovich, a Phil Jackson in his heyday. You could be stubborn all you want. My record, <laughs> you look at what I've done, my track sheet, hey, I'm a six-time champion. I've coached da-da-da-da-da, Tim Duncan. Who, who, what's on Brett Brown's rap sheet? You feel me? Like So I wonder how much of a – was their respect in that locker room and took him – serious like all right this is a system that we could buy into coach knows what he's talking about 
Um, some awards was given out. I did not agree with either of these awards. Uh, defensive player of the year went to Giannis. And most improved player went to uh, Brandon Ingram, just announced. Uh, your takeaways from these um, awards? How come you didn't agree with defense, defensive player of the year? I rather would have seen it go to me. AD because uh, you're a Lakers fan. I, I get it. No, nah, I can't. I can't say AD because I can see why not AD because you got Dwight and JaVale McGee who each are averaging all three of them averaging above two blocks a game. So how much of an impact you feel me that you really have on that team? Um, I'm cool with Giannis getting defensive play of the year if they're giving MVP to Bron. Giannis, I don't think is getting MVP, shouldn't be able to get, you feel me, MVP and defensive play of the year. Um, I feel he had some help too, though, with a Brooke Lopez and a Robin Lopez, um, with them blocking shots. Uh, I just would have rather seen maybe like a Bam or somebody else up there instead of Giannis. I feel it's going to turn into one of those things, you feel me, with Steve Nash a year where he won like three years straight at MVP. I think it's just going to be like kind of one of those things where every year – it probably shouldn't have went to Steve Nash every year. I don't think it should have went to Giannis. For our most improved player of the year, I'm choosing Bam. I feel his growth, his impact on the team has been crazy for Miami. He's literally a Swiss Army knife. He does it, does everything. I get, though, why B.I. won it. I'll say that. I get why B.I. won it. His uh, growth, making the all-star team, literally – Zion was out for most of the year, him being the man till Zion came back. Shout out to him. Congrats to B.I. for getting a most improved player of the year, former Laker. We miss you. Yeah, I, I like the, the pick of B.I. getting most improved. Because looking, looking back on it, <clears throat> he's coming over to a new situation where uh, – they're not necessarily being looked at as a good team going into this year. Zion's hurt. And he really kind of put the team on his back when he had to. And I mean, he made the, his first all-star team. He averaged over like 25 points a game, <clears throat> which it's, it's tough to do. People might think it, he's just got more opportunity, which is true, but it's tough to average – 25 plus in the NBA it's not you can't just you know walk to another team and get buckets I mean there's some people who could do that but <laughs> I didn't think that he'd be doing this that quick especially like he was so like inconsistent in LA I'm just thinking like all right he he could really be good people wanted to compare him to KD but I don't like when people compare other players like young players to like greats like top 25 top five players of all time like give it some time give it some time like people want to compare ben simmons to lebron but i don't see it they wanted to compare bi to kd and i don't see it that's too much pressure that's too much pressure early like yeah just let them be them like bi he needed to come into his own he he needed a change of scenery I could see that with Lonzo. I could see that with a lot of players who just sometimes 
it's just not a good fit on a team. And once you make that that switch, all right, now it's go time. Now this team has confidence in me. I don't feel like this team's confidence wavers with me like LA's did because if it didn't, they would have kept them. They would have believed that, all right, this team's good enough to win with these pieces. We can build for the future. I know Bron's getting older. But no, they, they went for the home run. They got AD, which was a good trade. But we might look at this like three or four years down the road and think like they really gave up all these pieces for AD, who you don't even have it written in stone that he's coming back, which the only way the Lakers win this trade when we look back at it from five years from now, if they win, they get a championship that it was worth it. If they don't, this will probably be looked at as one of the worst trades in Laker history in regards of, like, if they keep progressing, well, B.I., Josh Hart played, had a pretty solid season. Um, if Lonzo could get it together consistently four or five years and there, they move it at this pace, it'll be a bad look. Lakers need to win. It's just that simple to, for the trade to actually be like, all right, this was worth it. Because you could have waited to the next year. He would have been a free agent. He would have came. But that's too long to wait. You got Brown who's on a, a – his hourglass is slowly emptying out. It's, it's at a slow pace, but, I mean, not everybody can play at that level for as long as he, he's done it. Maybe he can, but I don't know. It's going to be tough. That's I agree. I agree, but they bet they have to win a championship that you brought AD here because it was championship or bust. So they need to take advantage of winning a championship, which they are making the right steps in that direction. Uh, closing out the series against Portland, winning 131 to 122. Uh, AD, 43 and 9. LeBron, 36-10-10. Uh, takeaways from that game. Uh, with them able to close out the series. I mean, it's good to see they're hitting their stride now, even though Dame didn't play, but I don't think it would have made that much of a difference. Like, the the Lakers are just a better team. They got them that first game, and I think that was enough to, you know, splash some water in their face and be like, all right, you know this is the playoffs, right? We're not, still, we're not in the bubble. We're not playing those meaningless games anymore. We're – we're in the heat of it. This is what we came down here for. So they really turned it up. They really beat them pretty bad, like the rest of the, the series. And I mean, shout out to Portland. They put in a, a good effort, but I mean, I think Charles Barkley was the only one who had confidence that they'd come out of the series victorious because I, I didn't see it. He said a sweep. That's, that's the thing that was crazy with Chuck. Um, my takeaways, I wonder, did Deion Waiters do something? Um, because Deion Waiters still is not getting any play time. They pulled it out. Uh, Mello looked good. Um, shout out to Dane. He's a father again, twins. Um, so he had to be back in Portland. He got injured. So hopefully he's healing up for next season. Uh, do you think Mello, is rumors that Mello might be coming back? To uh, to your hometown, to your your team, to the Knicks. Um, do you think Melo should try to re up and stay in Portland? 
Would you like to see that that Knicks reunion? Um, what's your takes away from uh, on how Melo? He's he looked good, especially this last game, twenty-seven and seven. He kind of looked. He was giving us you know little highlights of uh, the Knicks days. A little bit. I, I think that it would be extremely dumb if he came back to New York because. If you're trying to win right now, <laughs> your time is ticking too. You don't have much time to wait. Like the Knicks, we got we got time. We're waiting. We're working, I guess, towards making something happen. And Melo, yeah, I, I wish him nothing but the best. And me <laughs> wishing him that, <laughs> don't come back to New York. You yeah. Could, you could visit. I think, I think it would be a feel-good story, but in regards to trying to win – I think he should stay in Portland. They are one of the few teams that took a chance on him. Um, I think I think if there's an opportunity to go to like the Lakers, the Clippers next season, I think he should go there. If he's going to get playing time and be able to play his game, in regards of wanting to get a ring, go to the, one of those two teams. I still don't think Portland. Even with them having a full season, I think they'll go from an AFC to probably a top five, top 16. But I still don't see Portland getting a chip. So if he wants to get a chip, I think his best bet is go to one of those L.A. teams and help them out. I should put this on a shirt. Melo, if you, if you want a chip, don't go to the Knicks. It's that simple. Like, it's not happening right now. We Management is holding us back. And – I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I'm not a coach. I'm not a GM, but if I was your agent, there would be 29 teams that I'm looking at and probably the Knicks. I don't know if I'd be having the Knicks in my top five for free agency. And that's what's crazy about the fact that Melo was out of a job for so long. The Lakers, they could have really used him. And they passed up on him. They'd rather sign, you know, Jr. Who, I don't know. He, he think the court got bigger, taking threes from the sideline. And like Melo, he's better than Kuz. And I guess they didn't really see that. They wanted to give Kuz a chance. But imagine if they had Melo, Bron, and AD. Like that would be. <laughs> they would be the favorites by far. I think. Yeah. Those three. Because Melo, he showed that he could still get it off the dribble, post moves. He's If you need him to, which he would be probably on this Laker team, he'd be a spot-up shooter, and he's a better shooter than Kuz. I don't – Kuz yeah. is way too inconsistent. We didn't have the podcast when free agency started, but I was saying Melo needs to go to the Lakers. That would have been a perfect marriage, especially for Melo. Melo would have got shots. He would have got his shots in this offense. But I think they were hesitant in the regards of we just gave away our talent, our young talent, and kind of stunted a little bit the growth of B.I. and Lonzo with bringing Bron here. Let's give Kuz a chance. Nah. Again, like you said, it's that old, 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 old church song. Time is winding up. It won't be long. It won't be long left for uh, 
LeBron, he's playing great, but I can't see we got 10 years, 10 more opportunities to make this happen for LeBron to get another championship or two. So I think they should have got Melo. Hopefully, if Melo is an option next year, the Lakers look at it. Uh, the other L.A. team closed out their series, 111-97. Dallas goes home, uh, getting two games out of them, fighting pretty much almost every game. There's a fight with uh, Dallas making it interesting, making it tough for them. Takeaways from that series, um, Luka in the future, Chris Stops didn't play. Uh, what's your takeaways on how that series panned out? Um, well, I know it's too early. I was going to say this earlier. You can't judge trades by uh, what happens in present day. You got to look at it like a few years down the line. But we could really be looking at that Porzingis trade. Like, I don't know. Like, you gave up all these picks. That gives the Knicks more chances to build – something and what we've known for years is Porzingis is injury prone and clearly that hasn't stopped he missed the, basically 80% of the, the series because of the injury and they still pushed it to, to a game six so imagine if they had him the whole series they might have beat the Clippers in six who knows because Luca literally had to put the team on his back once Porzingis was out and do his thing. Like he's hitting game winning shots from 35 feet out. He's, he's going against a Clippers team that's looked at as the favorite in the whole NBA to make a, a championship run. But like, he's the future, honestly, he should have, he should have been on the cover of the, the 2k. Over Dane. <laughs> that's a tough one. I guess we'll give it to Dame because you know he could he could do the soundtrack too. That's that makes it cooler. He he rapped and he's on the cover. But with Luca, his game is just so effortless. Like he plays, I don't want to say in slow motion, but he plays at a different pace than everybody else, and it's something that nobody can really stop. Because this Clippers team was looked at as this like really defensive-minded team. You got Kawhi, who's what a two-time defensive player of the year. You got Paul George who's made a lot of all defensive teams. You got Pat Beverly who's annoying as hell, but he plays defense. Like he's going against his team and basically averaged a triple double, like a 30 point triple double for a series. I don't know many players who could do that besides like Braun and that might be it. Just Braun. <laughs> yeah. The Lucas future is bright. What the Mavs do to put around them, I think will all determine how far they go. Um, as we said, Przingis is injury prone. You feel me? So I think if you add another something, another star, give Lucas some type of help um, and star power. They got good role players. I think they're set on that. Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke showed up, Seth Curry, um, Kleber, he showed up. I don't him having Porzingis minutes isn't where his, you know, his bag is at. You feel me? So him coming off the bench, not having to play 36, 37 minutes. If he's playing off the bench, that's a good piece to have. So I think, I think we're going to have, you know, conversations about the Mavericks for years to come. It's just, can Porzingis stay healthy and who do they add to them? 
Um, Paul George had the one good game, said, you know, part of it had to deal with mental health and everything like that. The closeout game, it kind of seemed like he went back to the Paul George of late with the struggles. How do you see that? that playing out for the Clippers in the next series, depending on who they play? Like, are they going to need Paul George or should they be able to get through that next round? Um, well, they should be able to get through the next round because I don't think Utah or Denver really pose a threat to the Clippers in the playoffs, but we'll, we'll see about that. But they definitely need Paul George to break out of this slump, which – I don't know if it's a slump. Like you said, he said there's stuff going on mentally that I mean, you, not everybody can deal with that. And they're on the biggest biggest stage, and these <laughs> social media is a curse. Like if you have social media and you're in the bubble or in the playoffs, don't look at that. If you have a bad game, just know that they're ripping you, and there's a lot of people hating on you and that's just what comes with the job. Like not everybody's going to be happy with what you're doing, but it just shows that again, Kawhi can really just take over games and just put the team on his back, which he's done for like five, six years now. And I mean, last year that run was crazy with the Raptors and I don't want to say he's going to do it again, but it looks like, we're heading towards that playoff Kawhi, <laughs> that playoff claw, because hey, low management looked real good. I was saying I even said that earlier. I was like, see, he does that low management. You don't like it, but it's for a reason, and it's for this reason. He's he's the healthiest Kawhi that he can be going forward in the playoffs. And a healthy Kawhi, yeah, he's a scary, scary dude. Thirty-three points. 14 rebounds, seven assists, five steals. Five steals. You can't, you, <laughs> yeah, you can't beat, you can't beat that. That stat line is crazy. He's going to need, he's going to need Paul George's ice tub too, along with his, because he, he put in work for both of them in these, in these few games. Look, say what you want about the low management and whatnot. When Kawhi do play, whenever he do play, he performs, he shows out, he does what he's supposed to do. Um, I think the Clippers, they might very well, very well might. Uh, if Paul George shows up, they very well might, very well might sweep whoever is coming in that next round. Like, way Kawhi playing, if you would get Paul George and then Pat Bev back from his injury, I don't see Utah having an impact. Donovan Mitchell is not having multiple 50-point games. I can't see that happening with um, against the Clippers. Jamal Murray isn't having multiple 50-point games against the Clippers. Nobody on either of those teams is stopping – Kawhi, so it might be a sweet next series for them. And then Kawhi really get rest for real then, too. So, Well, PG might just have to play PG. He might have to play point guard for this team because 
he plays a lot better when they they get it to him early. They get him the ball, and it's in his hands. He's not just standing there watching plays happen. Because it's hard for you to get a get a rhythm that way. If someone's dribbling and you're just standing there, like nobody can really play basketball like that. I mean, unless your name's Kyle Korver, and then you basically built your whole career on just waiting for someone to pass you the ball. But Paul George is not that type of player. He's a guy who can get his own bucket. And he's shown that over the years that he can, it's tough for anybody to stop him off the dribble because his handles are elite for his size at like six, eight, six, nine for him to be able to break guys down with like Kyrie like handles, then why not try it? Even though you should have been trying this in those bubble games. But now is the time to, you know, you you have to take that risk. You have to see what's going on because who's the point guard that you feel most confident in in on L.A.? I mean, I don't – not Reggie, not Pat Bev. They can be, you know, spot-up shooters, secondary playmakers. But Paul George, this is what we brought you here for, to perform in the playoffs. And he, he usually comes up big in the playoffs that's why he gave himself that name playoff p but now we need you to step up so if you got to tell doc like yo let me let me handle the rock let me try to play make and let let me and Kawhi work because right now Kawhi's working paul's not so how do we how do you fix that you put the ball in his hands it's it's not it's not i guess it is that simple i was gonna say it's not that simple but yeah it is that simple get Paul George the ball, let him make plays and sweep the next team. Cause this series with the Mavs, if you look at it on paper, shouldn't have been this close. Like the Clippers have two all NBA players for years on their team, not to mention all the like role players, six man of the year and Lou Montrez, Marcus Morris, who, I mean, you might as well just <laughs> Tell him, I'm going to pick a fight with somebody. Pick pick a fight with anybody on this team. And, and that's going to really push us over the edge. Because when he's picking a fight with somebody, that, I, I could tell, it energizes the teams that he's on. Like, it did, it worked to an extent with the Knicks. It worked in Boston. It worked in <laughs> L.A. It's working in L.A. right now. So, there's a lot of factors that come down to it, but, like, let Paul George work. It's, it's been overdue for you to let Paul George work. He's not, I guess, on this team, he is the secondary guy. But does it have to be that way? I mean, he doesn't have to sacrifice his whole game just for Kawhi. Like, why why trade all those first-round picks for him if you're going to have him just, you know, spot up, shoot? I think they both need to be able to play well. Right now, um, they're they the second best duo in the league after LeBron and AD. They're the second best. If both of them can get clicking, it'll be a whole nother story. Um, I think Lakers might mess around win in five next series, too, playing the Rockets. I don't see OKC with Russ back now. I don't see them winning two games. I can't see that happening. Um that first game of the next series, you got the Celtics Raptors. Celtics pulled out that win in dominating fashion. Do you uh, feel this is something 
that is going to be a quicker series or is it just like, hey, pump the brakes is only game one. Um, this is still going to be a competitive series. I think it's only, it's only game one. This is one, it's not one of those series. I don't think next week we could be saying a different thing, but I don't think this is one of those series that, you know, this is going to, their backs against the wall. They don't know how to react. Like this team has won the chip last year. They got a, a coach who just won coach of the year. So clearly he knows what he's doing and the players know what they're doing if they were the second team in the East. So I don't, I think it's, it's an overreaction to think that, all right, they got blown out in game one, you know, they, it happens. It, it, it's not supposed to happen in the playoffs, but it does happen. It happened in a few games. Like it happened to Milwaukee against Orlando in the first game. They lost and got blown out. And what they do, they came out and the rest of the games weren't really close. I'm not saying that this is going to be that type of series, but I just think that you can't overreact to one game. Like it's a long series. And with the playoffs, it's different than the regular season because you play a team, then you go off and play a different team. But here you're playing a team consistently. So you get to see the tendencies, you get to game plan a little bit. And that's what Nick Nurse is going to have to do. You got to try to stop Jason Tatum. You got to try to stop Jalen Brown, Kemba. But he does have pieces to do that. Like you got OG, you could put him on Jalen or Jason Tatum. Pascal has to play a little better, but it's doable. I don't think that they're out of it in any way, but I do, I've been saying that I like Boston to pull it out in this series. I think that they got that young core or that young duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That's going to be tough to beat when they're, they're rolling and they're, they've been rolling since the playoffs started. So let's see how they, they react to this, this Raptors team that did win the chip. There's, there's still the reigning champs until they get knocked out of the playoffs. There's still the reigning champs. So you got to be gunning for this team. I could very well see Celtics Miami next round. Speaking of it's a minute left in the Miami Bucks game. Miami is up 111, 104. I've said this. Season one, episode something, that Miami, if they met Milwaukee in the playoffs, Miami would beat them. It's only game one. It's still a minute left. But I see Miami beating them. Jim Lee Butler, 36 points as of right now. Um, he's locked in. He had a quote. A lot of the players are bringing family and, you know, significant others to the bubble. Jimmy Butler said, I am not bringing anybody to the bubble because this is a business. No distractions. This is, this is business moves. This is straight business. I'm here to handle my business and come home. With that mindset, this is why people love Jimmy Butler. This is that. Because we remember we did that list, top 20 players, and I have people having an issue with Jimmy Butler being a top 20 player. Well, Watch these games. It speaks for itself. He's a fighter. That's what his calling card's been in the NBA. He was the last pick in the first round in his draft. And he's, he's basically, like they say, he's got it out the mud. He did, he did it in Chicago. He did it in Philly. And now he's doing it in Miami. He just finds ways to get his team over the line. Ways to win. 
He has 36 tonight. The next game, game two, he might have nine, eight, and eight. And he had the game-winning block on Giannis. Like, Jimmy Butler is the type of person that you want on your squad any and every day. I will take Jimmy Butler any and every day. Um, but this is the end of this episode right here. Uh, make sure y'all subscribe. Make sure y'all like, comment, get your bench mob gear, get all of that stuff. Make sure you can support us on Anchor. Um, end off the show with this. No matter what, when if you are on the bench, stay ready so when you get off the bench, you make that impact. Bench mob, we out. Peace.